Welcome to the podcast that will bring the pages of Elephants and Tea magazine to life. Never heard of us? We're the only magazine written for and by the adolescent and young adult cancer community. We like to call everyone in our community our herd. So, welcome to the herd. Although this club is not one that you're glad you joined, knowing you're not alone in what you're going through and hearing from people who get it can really help. With this podcast, you can bring your herd with you on the go. Welcome to AYA Cancer Unfiltered, spilling the tea with our herd. I am here with Summer. She is one of our incredible authors from the Dear Cancer issue. And I am so excited that you're here, Summer, to talk about your cancer experience and also your incredible letter to cancer that was published in this issue. So thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I'm hoping that you could just start by sharing a little bit about your experience with cancer, um, just to give our listeners a little background information about your personal experience. Yeah, of course. Um, I was diagnosed with um, osteosarcoma last year in February. Um, It was a localized tumor. It was um, 8.1 centimeters or 3.2 inches-ish in my left tibia and knee area. Um, So treatment for me kind of looked a little strange. I did uh, six rounds of the uh, MAT chemo protocol. And then had a few complications with that that were a little too serious to continue with that protocol. So I switched to the um, SAIME protocol for the last four rounds. And then in the middle of that, I had a um, limb salvage surgery. Uh, So I still have my leg, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, They did a proximal tibia replacement. So basically, a bit of my femur, my knee, and most of my tibia is now metal underneath my skin. Um, and then they took a muscle from the back of my leg, like in the back of my calf, and then cut it and flipped it and wrapped it around the front of my knee to kind of protect the prosthetic. Um, and then sewed it to a little tendon there. Um, so I still have a fully functional leg. I'm still relearning how to walk right now, which has been very difficult. My surgery was in May of last year. Um, and I'm still limping around with a crutch, but we're getting there. Um, and as of my last scans, I have no, no evidence of disease. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I, wow. When people <laughs> it's just, I'm always so amazed by modern medicine, to be quite honest, surgery specifically, <laughs> like the way you were just like, you know, they took part of my calf and put it here and moved this here. And then did that. It's just insane to me. It's um, such a script for me now. Cause people always ask like, Oh, what, what did you do? Cause I'm using a crutch and I look otherwise healthy right now as well. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> no, you think so oh. I've got a little bit of a spiel like of people. And usually it's the same response of like, Whoa, I didn't know they could do that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so is it fair to say that d- did you kind of participate in any physical therapy? Are you still doing that? Like ongoing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, during treatment, it was extremely hard, if not non-existent with just how horrible I was feeling. Um, I did a little bit of physio to like keep myself moving. So I wasn't in bed all the time. Um, but I started the more like intense physio routine um, at the end of November. Wow. That's amazing. And it's a lot of work. 
Um, yeah. so I give you a lot of credit for, for putting in the work. Cause obviously it's important. Um, but it's, I think that's one of those things that people don't really think about is again, you're, you're no evidence of disease. You had the surgery, but you have this lasting effect that you're kind of living with and dealing with and, and working with on a daily basis. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, would you say, ha- have your feelings kind of changed towards cancer throughout your whole experience or, or do you think that it's been kind of a steady type of feeling the whole time? Um, kind of, um, at diagnosis, I kind of saw cancer as something like obviously very frightening, um, but also very unknown. Um, I didn't really know what I was in for, to be quite honest. I'd had family members that had dealt with cancer before. It was nothing like bone cancer, sarcoma, anything like that, which is a totally different beast. Um, And I really thought that I would be walking into a hospital, getting a three hour infusion for a chemo or taking like a chemo pill once or twice a week. I feel nauseous, I lose my hair, all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't know that in the beginning I'd be facing seven day inpatient stays for all of my chemo, if not longer for each of them. Um, And that nausea and like sick did not even begin (laughs) to describe how I felt. Um, so I still see cancer as something like extremely scary and frightening. Um, but it's kind of the devil I know now. Mm. Um, I'm still very frightened of it, but, um, I think knowing what it entails, um, makes me a lot more at peace with that fear. I think that's a really important thing to, to touch upon that, that unknown is where a lot of our fear stems from, um, but I think you're right. I think once you've been through it, yeah, obviously we wish we didn't go through it, but we have more of an understanding of it. Um, and I think what you said before too, about how, you know, the nausea that you thought or the losing your hair, you know, you think of these things almost because that's how they're portrayed, right? If we see them in movies or things, but it's a whole different beast, like you said, to, to go through it yourself. Um, yeah, and- absolutely every, every buddy also handles everything a little differently too. Um, so what may have been really difficult for one, maybe is easier for another or so, um, I just want to, again, thank you for sharing your experience. And I think it's, it's always important to kind of, um, share all the different sides of, of what we've been through. Yeah, of course. Um, so if you could kind of sum up your feelings towards cancer right now in this moment, what word or emotion would you use? <laughs> um, it's like vague screaming and appropriate answer. <laughs> it's, um, there's really like no word or emotion I can use to describe this experience. It, it just sucks. Um, you learn to live with it and you learn to be happy despite it. Um, but it's certainly not something I ever anticipated feeling or dealing with for like the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, frustration, it seems like, especially with what you, you're reminded of it constantly when you just try to move, move around your own apartment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The mobility really, really plays a part of like, I never, I never forget what happened to me because I'm constantly making sure I don't fall or I don't trip or I don't bend my leg the wrong way or things like that. So it's, um, truly a constant companion. (laughs) Yeah. Do you mind me asking, did, 
does your physical therapist or have your oncologist or doctors shared, do they, do they expect you to have like full mobility at some point or are they, is it kind of an unknown at this point? Kind of. Um, my flexibility may not be the same. I may not be able to like bend my leg back as far as I used to, um, or as like my other leg can do. Um, right now it's like fairly flexible. I can't necessarily like crouch if that makes sense. Like I can't mm -hmm. like squat like a little frog. Um, cause my knee just doesn't bend that way yet. Um, so flexibility, they're unsure just cause of the way that muscle wraps, they're unsure if it's shorter than it otherwise should have been, could have been whatever. Um, so they're unsure about that, but walking, absolutely. Um, I should be able to do that normally, whatever that means. Um, again, which is exciting. It'll just take a lot of time, which is frustrating to explain to people of like, Totally. Nope. I promise I'm putting in the work. I promise I'm doing hours and hours and hours of physio a week. My body was just like fully reconstructed and poisoned wow. for nine months. So it <laughs> takes me a little bit longer than you'd expect rather than like healing from a knee replacement or something like that. It's very, very different. Definitely. Definitely. And that must be difficult to have to try to explain to someone when they don't, you know, they haven't been through it. And that, I think that's the case for cancer, going through cancer at a young age in general. You know, you don't really truly get it unless you've been through it, unfortunately. Yeah. And honestly, I stopped trying to get people to understand it. If they don't get it the first few times that I mention it and they're like, well, you should be walking by now. I just leave it. It's it truly doesn't bother me after that. It's it's their problem at that point. <laughs> right. That's such a good attitude to have summer. I love that. <laughs> Need a little bit more of that. Um, If you could think back. So prior to February of last year and tell your newly diagnosed self one thing, what would you say to that version of summer? Hmm. Um, I think, so initially it's going to sound very cheesy, but I think I'd tell her it gets better. Um, hmm. And then I would gently break it to her that then it gets worse <laughs> in <laughs> ways that you would not quite expect. Um. I was not prepared and I would have loved to have been prepared for the fact that, at least for me personally, um, during treatment, physically, it was horrible. It was very, very, very difficult. It was the most physical discomfort and pain and all of that that I've ever been in in my entire life and hopefully will ever be in in my entire life. Um, but after treatment, all of the mental stuff that I physically wasn't able to process while I was too busy sleeping and throwing up um, kind of started bubbling to the surface, um, which has been echoed in a lot of other young adults that I've spoken to that have dealt with this, where you're in survival mode for however long your treatment may be. And sometimes your emotions can kind of peek through here and there. Um, but even my oncologist, when I came to her after treatment and I was like, I do not feel good. Like, what is going on in my brain? She was like, oh yeah, that's pretty normal. Like you just fought for your life. Like you weren't able to deal with those emotions during treatment. You're going to have to deal with them now. Um, so I think I would tell her that like finding your way in the real world again, recovering mentally after like such a close brush with death at such a young age um, and like recovery physically, it's, it's all a lot. Um, it's all very doable. You need the right support in place. Um, but I want to prepare her for the, the mental effects of after treatment, I think, because nobody really warned me about that. 
Oh, and that's a very common theme that I am finding. I mean, I experienced it myself as well. And just in, in talking with other AYAs, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said, we are so focused on just merely surviving. We're so focused on just making it day to day that we don't have time to process what the heck we're going through until that treatment stops and we have a moment to take a breath and be like, wow, what did I just go through? (laughs) And I found Um, that when I did have the capacity to handle any kind of emotion during treatment, if I was having a good day or I was having a little break from chemo or something like that, I subconsciously, I did not do it on purpose, but I used that emotional energy to convincing my support system that I was okay. And mm. being like, oh no, I'm fine. Like, how are you doing? Are you dealing with this okay? Um, and I I didn't mean to. I absolutely like to prior- prioritize my own mental health, but I was so concerned with those around me as well, because it's not fun for anyone involved that subconsciously I just kind of was like, okay, I'm feeling a little better. Let me check in with the people around me instead of checking in with myself. Wow. That's so I'm assuming you're a little bit of an empath then are you kind of like would you consider yourself that way I think so yeah yeah I I feel like that is something that many experience as well if you know you put this pressure on yourself that I know a lot of times and this idea of feeling guilty comes up a lot and I I personally have a really hard time asking for help so I think throughout treatment, I found it very, very difficult in general to like seek help or whatever. So I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense that, you know, rather than on those days when you could take a breath, checking in with those around you was more of a priority um, in that moment. But then in turn, that kind of pushes your own self-care to the wayside even more, which It's also not good. So I mean, there's really no good way to handle this. No, there isn't. We do our best and we make it through and we figure it out afterwards when we have the capacity to. Beautifully said. I agree. Um, I would love to kind of dig into your letter to cancer a little bit. There were a few lines that really, really stood out to me that I would love to chat about. Um, And one of them, you said that you isolated me from my life that I had learned to love so dearly. And that whole idea of isolation, I think, is um, a really difficult one. And especially since you you went through everything this past year, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic was was and really is still a very real thing. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to a little bit more about that kind of like feeling of isolation. Yeah, for me personally, it was bizarre because I was I was lucky enough to have a very, very strong community of people behind me. I have an amazing partner who's like extremely supportive and patient and kind and worked a full time job and was my full time caretaker and looked after like our cats and our finances and everything so I wouldn't have to deal with it. He did all my paperwork and everything, like very, very supportive. Um, My family lives across the country and they flew in every single month and came to visit me, which was so unexpected and so appreciated. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and like I had friends who came to visit while I was doing inpatient chemo or during long hospital stays um, and while I was recovering at home. Um, and from the get-go, I was super, super vocal on social media about what was happening to me. Um, and I had a huge outpouring of like acquaintances and people I didn't really even know talking to me about their experience or wishing me well or that kind of thing. Um, and despite all of those people that I was so, so lucky to have, um, I still felt so alone. I could talk to all of these people and they absolutely tried their best to understand. Um, but they, and I don't blame them for it, but they really couldn't comprehend exactly what I was going through. So it was, it was very strange to have so much support and I felt almost guilty for feeling so alone because I know that so many people aren't as lucky as I am to have family and a partner and friends and an online community of people behind them. Um, and I only started to feel less isolated when I discovered the young adult cancer community online. And I was actually able to talk to people who had been through, honestly, I've met two women who've had the exact same surgery, exact same treatment as me, which is wild because they're super, super rare to do that specific kind of surgery. So I met people who knew exactly what I was going through and a lot of people who knew very similarly what I was going through. Um, and that's when the isolation kind of started to feel a little less prevalent, I think. I think that's so true. I think that, you know, that idea of being surrounded by people who love you and who are caring for you is wonderful. But again, like you said, if they don't understand the deep emotions, the deep rooted feelings, the deep struggles, anxieties, fears that go along with everything that we've experienced. And, and I think that that is one of the major reasons why the AYA cancer community is so important. Um, because I, I agree. I think I, I had no idea there were so many young adults going through cancer until I was I in so it. Alone. Yeah. Like when I was diagnosed, I was like, what do you mean? Like, my cancer is primarily found in people, I think it's like under the age of 14 or over the age of 70 or something like that. I don't know the exact wow. number, but being diagnosed at 23 was like a bit of an outlier. <laughs> and I was so confused, like that young people could get this sick. And then when I found the online community that everybody has like built so lovingly, it was such a like relief. It felt like like a breath of fresh air, which is strange because it's a bunch of really, really sick young adults just like cracking jokes or sharing insight. And I I didn't, I really didn't expect it to feel that relieving and to feel that like sense of community so quickly. Yeah. I think there's such like a double-sided um feeling to it that you just touched upon. And I think working, so being a survivor myself and also working full-time <laughs> in the field, in, in the space, it's like half of me is like, so feels so happy and full when people find us specifically as a resource, because I'm like, ah, oh, you're going to feel less alone, I promise. But then the other half of me is like, but 
shit, I'm really pissed off that you had to find us because you shouldn't yeah. be going through what you're going through. I so always say, this- like, I've yeah. met some of, like, the kindest and, like, sweetest and, like, coolest people through this community. And I always say, like, I really wish we met at, like, a really cool party or something like right? that. But unfortunately, <laughs> we met because we're dying. Oh. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I try not to question it. Honestly, I just cherish those relationships and try not to dig too deep into it. (laughs) Yeah. Again, that's a beautiful perspective to have about it. Um, Yeah. What that, that saying, I feel like it's a little overused, but the worst, the worst club with the best people, I feel like that's kind of what (laughs) the AYA community is like. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You had another part of your letter Oh, I had to actually, to be completely honest, when I read this the first time, I had to like pause and and take a minute um, because your use of description and describing your settings literally brought me right back. Um, but it said, we sat in beige rooms in near silence. The only noise interrupting our romance was the rhythmic pump of the IV pole. Oh, and I think, I think anyone who has been through cancer knows exactly what that IV pole beeping sounds like. Um, Are there any other vivid kind of memories that you associate with cancer or anything that almost like triggers you that um, reminds you of, of those days when you were in treatment? Uh, Yes, many. First of all, I'm so sorry. Like, (laughs) I, oh, no, 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 no. Like, but... <laughs> you know what I mean? Not in a I bad way. Mean. I had to pause yeah. because I was like, wow, that was like so beautifully written. And it literally brought me right back. But it's a less alone feeling because I'm like, wow, yeah, okay, yeah. she experienced it too. So don't apologize. <laughs> I never want to throw people back into those beige rooms. No, I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have, honestly, I have, as we all do, like a lot of bad vivid memories I also have a lot of really good ones and funny ones to be honest um one of the like I think the worst one for me um I spent a lot of time in the hospital last year my treatment went from end of February to end of October um and actually at the end of treatment I was like I wonder how many days I spent inpatient like overnight stays in the hospital it worked out to a whopping 104 (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and a part of that was um, the chemo complication that I had, which was um, I was there for 35 days straight. Um, it was very, very rare. It's called tiflitis or uh, neutropenic enterocolitis. Um, basically, your lower intestine gets super, super inflamed when your neutrophils drop to zero. They don't really know why there's really not a lot of research or like studies or that kind of thing done on it, unfortunately, which was not comforting (laughs) to hear. You never want to be special or an outlier in this kind of thing. Um, But yeah, my blood pressure dropped. Um, I wasn't able to keep any food down um, or meds or water. That was like the, the thing that they were like, okay, we need to admit you where I couldn't even take my anti-nausea pills because I would just throw them up like a minute later or like I'd take a sip of water and it would immediately come up um so not fun um I found out after the fact it has about a 50% survival rate which is again never a number you want to hear um so I was put on IV nutrition for an entire month um and wasn't allowed to eat anything during that month either I had to be on like complete like stomach rest um 
So a lot of my very, very vivid, vivid memories, including the one of being in the room with the IV pole that I wrote about are from this day. Um, I remember like the pressure on my chest from the like constant port changes because I had to change it out every seven days and I was there for lots of seven days. <laughs> mm. um, so I remember that. I remember the bag of TPN, the nutrition, um, was like a bright, bright neon yellow, which was also the color of one of my chemo drugs. Um, so seeing it, it was such a, in that moment, it was such a vivid memory, even though it was so recent that I had to get them to put a pillowcase over the bag because I felt oh. nauseous looking at it. Oh. Um, and yeah, a lot of my like very bad vivid memories are from that stay, I'd say. Obviously there was other things that weren't necessarily great um but after that there was a lot of really good vivid memories weirdly enough um there was a lot of kindness in the ward that I stayed in from the nurses and the pharmacists and the cooks and the dietitians and everybody who was there to support me um and I remember when I could start eating again um there was this like sweet sweet Indian lady who ran the kitchen and she knew that I was like real off the hospital food at that point um not that I'd been eating for that stay but beforehand the six chemos I did before that she knew I was not jiving with it um so she made me when I could start eating soft foods again she made me dal which is like really really gentle on the stomach it's like lentil she didn't add me like spices or she added spices but not anything spicy so it wouldn't upset me um and now every time I eat like curry or dal I have this like wonderful vivid memory of somebody caring enough to like go out of their way to cook me something that they weren't initially making that day oh, at work or another that. another food one was the dietitian um one of the dietitians she was so sweet all they both of the dietitians felt so so bad that I couldn't eat anything and they would check in and they were managing my TPN and like what was going in and that kind of thing um but one of them her partner ran a gourmet popsicle business which I think is very niche but very cool <laughs> so cool <laughs> yeah um and when I was able to start having like soft foods again like blended foods um she brought in a uh it was like fresh raspberry and coconut milk um oh. popsicle that her partner had made and again I remember being like holy shit this is the best thing I've ever tasted because it was one of the first things I'd eaten after like a month of not eating um and now again, good vivid memories every time I have like something coconutty or something raspberry-ish of just like the kindness of part of my care team going out of her way to like bring something from her personal life into the hospital for me. Um, so that's kind of like the good and the bad. Um, and there's, I, I love to laugh. I love to laugh in the face of like pain and like things that usually aren't funny to most people are extremely funny to me which is good and bad <laughs> <laughs> um but the last like really vivid memory I can think of is um <laughs> the goose so I know it's is very strange but um on the ward they had a like rooftop patio um which was beautiful it was huge uh there was like flower beds and a little gazebo um and you could go out there and get some sun a lot of people would go out there while they were getting their infusion and like walk around um just to kind of like get some exercise um I knew people that walked like 10 miles a day while they were getting chemo it was my goodness very, very I know 
I was kind of jealous because I was on crutches and with the IV pole, so I couldn't get around by myself right. at all. So I just like watched them through the window. But um, it was springtime, which means it was nesting season for Canadian geese. Um, I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. Um, and if you're unaware of Canadian geese as like a general thing, they are unforgiving assholes. Um, they're so mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We call them uh, like cobra chickens because they like hiss and attack and bite like cobras. Um, so it was nesting season and this one goose had decided, you know what? The fifth floor um, private rooftop patio for all of these poor cancer patients is exactly where I'm going to put my nest. Oh no! So there's signs all over the ward of like, beware of goose. And I saw them and I was like, what the hell? So I asked my nurse and she was like, oh yeah, there's a goose nesting out there. And I was like, okay, yeah, definitely not going out there. And she was like, no, especially you, you can't run if you need to. And I was like, haha, funny, but also, okay, got the message. <laughs> Um, and then there was one day, I heard about this after the fact, I was in the, in the hospital getting my chemo, um, and I guess one of the patients had decided to ignore the signs, um, and had been like, you know what, I need my walk today in the Mm sun. Um, we don't get a lot of sun in Vancouver, so like, who's to blame them? It was fine. Um, they ended up getting chased and attacked, um, they tripped over their IV pole. The IV pole, they didn't fall. Like, they're fine. They're okay, which is why I can laugh at it. But they tripped, they fell. Their chemo bag burst everywhere. Oh. All over the <laughs> um, After that, I I remember this, but I learned that this fit together after the fact. The goose, like, did its rounds honking at all of the windows throughout the ward. Um, at everyone else who was smart enough to stay inside. <laughs> So there's there's some things from treatment. Obviously, they're very triggering, bad, vivid memories. But there's also things that like I can't think about without like hysterical laughter, which I'm so thankful for. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and I'm thankful that you shared those as well. Because honestly, when I was thinking of this question, I I it didn't even cross my mind to share the positive things, you know. So I love that you kind of took that. Um, and ran with that. And I, I thank you for sharing that goose story. That's hilarious. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> man. Yeah. I think that the kindness of people, uh, like, especially that, that, um, one of the chefs like cooked something completely different just because like out of the kindness of her heart, that is just a beautiful, beautiful memory to have. And I think that, you know, as, cancer patients, we're very lucky when we come across, um, healthcare providers or anyone that we cross in our cancer experience that, that is special like that because they are rare, but, um, so, so very special. Yeah. So valuable and makes such an impact, even if they don't realize it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of, towards the end of your letter, you had a line that said, I was instructed to be thankful. You could have been worse after all. I loved how you said that. Um, but I thought specifically that it was a very powerful use of the term instructed. Um, when people would say that to you, how did that make you feel? 
not good. <laughs> um, I have a theory that any kind of cancer can be called like the good kind of cancer if you're enough of an asshole or if you're enough of a like obnoxiously positive person, <laughs> um, which I got unfortunately quite a bit. Um, osteosarcoma is one of the, or it is the most common of sarcomas, um, but sarcomas are fairly rare. So I was told from the beginning that I was lucky that it was a well-known rare cancer, which felt like a terrible oxymoron. <laughs> wow, what is that? Well, I know rare I'm, cancer. Like, Come on. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not thankful. It made me so frustrated and it made me feel so invalidated. And I think we're obviously very unlucky people. Like that's that's the crux of it with cancer. But I think if you're the patient and you're the one going through it, you absolutely can decide and establish when you feel lucky. Like I feel lucky that I'm here. I feel lucky that. I survived. I feel lucky that I have my leg, like that kind of thing. But as an outsider, you should never say that to somebody as like, be thankful it could have been worse or like that kind of thing is such an empty statement, but also a very harmful statement, I think. Absolutely. I think I, I love what you said that everybody should be able to choose what they feel lucky for, what they are thankful for. Um, telling someone that they should feel a certain way about anything, even outside of cancer, just yeah. shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't be a thing. Um, and I I agree with you. I think that there's a big difference between feeling thankful that our cancer responded to chemo, or feeling thankful that you know there there are things that we could find to say that we are thankful for, but to be thankful for cancer, the the type of cancer we got or something like that, just in the way that people often say, I think, um, I just really like how you, how you mentioned that in your letter. Thank you. Uh, yeah. You, you ended on, with another kind of line that really, really stuck with me. And I think we'll stick with a lot of people. And that's the line that said, I may be back. You said, reaching out your pinky to promise me that I would never live a day without your impact. Again, I think that's just a way that a lot of survivors feel that regardless, you know, yeah, there may be some days that we think of it less, but I don't know if there will ever be a day where we don't think of it at all. Um, how how has this changed you? Um, well, first of all, I'm never going to make it through airport security quickly ever again with the amount oh, of metal in my man. body. <laughs> The oh. amount of, I've traveled a few times um, since having the surgery and every time I have to be like, all right, my leg's metal. Uh, it's going to be, I'm sorry. And I just get the most confused look because they're like, oh. um, <laughs> so besides that, um, it's changed me a lot, but I'd say that at my core, I'm most definitely the same human. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I am a lot more sensitive now. Mm -hmm. Um I've been dealing with a lot of medical PTSD recently. Um, and I was talking with my partner um, the other week about how like, I'm perfectly fine going to the cancer center, going to the hospital, getting blood drawn, like all the medical procedures and stuff are fine. If not, I kind of look forward to going back to the ward for my physio to like say hi to all the nurses and that kind of thing. Um, 
but it's just the strangest things that set me off now, which I never really had before. Um, going back to actually the IV pole line, um, I, I was watching like an Instagram story the other day and um, I it was from somebody who was actively receiving chemo. And in the background, I could hear like the pump of the IV pole, not the beeping, but like the little noise. And I immediately burst into tears. And I was like, oh boy, that takes me back. I haven't heard that for a while. Um, and I was trying to explain this to my partner of like, isn't that weird that I heard that? And he couldn't quite remember the sound. And he was like, oh, was it like the, and he made the noise, but he made it so accurately no. that I started crying. <laughs> oh no. And then I started laughing. Cause I was like, what the hell Summer? Like <laughs> he was imitating a noise. Like it's not that serious. And then I kept crying and then I kept laughing. And it was just like, that kind of showed me how sensitive I am now. And and like I said, like dark humor and like laughing in the face of like pain and trauma has like always been a habit. It's always been a part of who I am. And it certainly came in handy during this. Um, so I'm glad that I can laugh at those situations now where I'm just like, whoa, how, how did that set me off? But yeah, I'm, I'm certainly a lot more sensitive now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think those those kind of triggers, just like we discussed before, are very real. And you don't what's harder is you don't know what's gonna affect you, kind of like what you just said. Like you heard the sound and it was just your gut reaction. Like it's yeah. not like, yeah. So I I think that, that that is a difficult thing to kind of navigate. And I wonder if it will always be that way or if that part of it will get easier. Um the more time that passes it's 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 hard to say all, yeah it's like I'm still because like I finished treatment in October it really hasn't been that long I'm still discovering things that set me off like that and things mm -hmm. that I'm sensitive to um and honestly I don't think I'll ever have it all figured out I think I just have to learn to live with that I don't think I'm ever gonna have a laundry list of things I have to avoid to make sure that I don't freak out I think things are gonna keep catching me off guard and Unfortunately, that's just a reality and I'm going to have to be okay with it. So definitely, definitely. Again, a, a very, um, I just really like your outlook. I like your outlook on it all. <laughs> um, do you mind sharing? So is writing something that you do often to kind of process your emotions or was this a new experience for you? Yes, I've been writing honestly, since I can remember, I have memories of being like a small child and not actually knowing how to write full sentences, but having little notebooks that I would scribble little lines in on all the little lines. Oh, that's adorable. Book. Um, and yeah, I've been writing my whole life. I really enjoy it. I did a few years of school for it. Um, Vancouver is very expensive and so is university. So I ended up leaving, but um, I actually right before diagnosis, um, ended up um, kind of starting to actually publish my work for the first time. Um, wow. I work in publishing just as like an admin assistant for a magazine company here. Um, and I love it. It's so much fun. Um, they started letting me write for the magazines, which was super exciting. Um, and then I got published as well with a personal essay um, from uh, the Globe and Mail, which is like a Canadian news site, which was a huge accomplishment for me. And I remember they published it, I think it was a week after my first chemo. Um, 
And it was so frustrating to be like, wow, my career and my passion is like finally taking off. And now I can barely think straight. <laughs> um, so yeah, this wasn't a new thing for me. Um, it's something I've always relied on to kind of process what I'm going through. Um, but I've only recently started sharing it with the general public, I'd say. Okay. Wow. That's amazing. And I, so it it seems that you definitely feel that like healing nature that writing can have in kind of processing and getting your emotions out. Um, do you have any advice? Because I'm sure we have people listening that maybe haven't tried it themselves. And um, what would your advice be to someone who, who has not tried writing um, yet? Um, I would say if, if you've been through treatment or you're going through treatment or you're dealing with cancer in general, I'm going to make the assumption that your memory is not excellent. At least mine is not. <laughs> um, so something I really struggled with and advice that I wish I'd been given when I first started out with writing about cancer was to take notes and like, no matter how cryptic two word sentences, weird mishmash of words it ends up being, if you have realizations or anecdotes or significant thoughts or feelings, write them down, like put them in your notes app on your phone. Um, I don't remember to carry a notepad or anything with me. So I mostly rely on my phone for that kind of thing. Um, but that way you can revisit them later when you've got a little bit more brain power or a little bit more focus or a little bit more like energy and drive to write. And you have material to work with. You don't have to sit down in front of an empty word document or piece of paper and be like, okay, what should I write about? You've got a note full of stuff that you can begin to express when you feel up to it. Um, so I absolutely recommend, yeah, just taking notes when you have an experience that you think you would like to write about so you can revisit it. Amazing advice. Um, I I do the same thing with the note the notes app in my phone. <laughs> I vividly remember one of my first times I was treated at Dana Farber in Boston. Um and I went there for a second opinion. So I kind of was diagnosed and went somewhere first and then went to Dana-Farber, which comparatively speaking, it was like going to like, I don't think Disney World is the right, but it was like a much <laughs> larger, much more prominent um, cancer center. And I vividly remember being in the elevator and it was a packed elevator. And, you know, obviously you choose your floor and you go just like you would at a hotel or anywhere else, but something about being there and knowing like, oh, you're a floor nine. Yeah, me too. Like knowing that the floor like meant what type of cancer you were, ha you were dealing with. And um, so I vividly remember standing there in that elevator and whipping my phone out and like jotting down that, that idea. Um, yeah. Cause I didn't want to like lose that, that feeling. Um, so I think that's awesome advice. So if you're listening and you've been hesitant or you're not sure where to start, just that, even if it's like a phrase or a word that comes to your mind, um, an emotion, um, jot it down somewhere. And when you have the capacity to go back and kind of try to dig deeper. Yeah. I would say about 70% of what I have in my notes app is absolute garbage. It's like two words. I have no idea what it means. I was scrolling through my notes from chemo actually last night yeah. and I was like, what the hell was I talking about? But maybe in a month I'll go back to that and be like, oh, that's what I meant. And I'll write right. about at that point but yeah like don't don't worry about being good don't worry about getting everything exactly perfect when you're jotting these things down like just get the general gist of it and how you're feeling um so you can work from that 
but yeah, don't, don't be afraid to mess up. Don't be afraid for it to be bad. You don't have to show anybody your, your little notes app thing. You can keep that to yourself until you're ready to share it. Absolutely. Or if you're never ready to share it, you don't yeah. need to share it ever. It's just, oh, absolutely. Yeah, find what works for you. I spent like the first like 20 years of my life, not at all sharing anything I wrote yeah. and it was still very healing and still very exciting for me to do. So yeah, you absolutely don't need to publish or share or, or that kind of thing. Um, it can, it can be just for you. And if it reaches other people and helps other people, great. But if it doesn't, that's okay too. Awesome. Summer, if people are listening and they're like, I'd love to connect with her. Do you mind sharing what the easiest way for people to do that would be? Yeah, of course. Um, I use uh, Instagram the most, I'd say. Uh, my handle is at s.umer. It's just summer with a period between the S and the U. Awesome. Um, I would like love to connect with people. I love chatting with um, other young adults who've been affected by cancer and that kind of thing. So please reach out if you'd like to. Um, I also recently launched a Substack, um, awesome. which is um, monthly-ish <laughs> email newsletters to try to get my brain working again for the chemo brain fog and all of that. Um, so the link to subscribe to that, um, it's free. It's in my Instagram bio, or you can go to uh, summerkonechny.com substack.com um and i have one newsletter up so far but there's many more to come awesome i love that and i am going to ask you to send me the links to your published um articles if you don't mind and maybe i can include those in the show notes as well so people yeah can most read. of them aren't cancer related yet that's but. fun yeah <laughs> yeah um summer thank you so much for chatting with me thank you for being vulnerable sharing your story thank you for submitting your writing for our magazine um we're honored uh to have it published in our annual dear cancer issue um yeah just just thank you this has been so nice to chat with you thank you so much for the opportunity i really appreciate it i i love talking about this kind of thing and hopefully providing some community to people who are who are needing to find it who are needing to meet cool people at that cool party that's not quite a cool party <laughs> love that thanks summer thanks so much thanks for listening we hope you feel a little less alone in what you're going through be sure to tune in next time but until then visit www.elephantsandtea.com for more relatable content.